recognize the hope that Jesus is willing to pay any price to give us. Yeah, so praise the Lord for his goodness to us. Um, This morning, I want to just open with a word of prayer. And I know, you know, we've been talking about contagious Christianity over the last few weeks. We've been talking about having an impact list, you know, one, two, three names of people that we want to pray for and ask that God would just woo and win their hearts. And uh, right now, I just want to open with a word of prayer, but allow us to lift up maybe that one name or those three names that you are just longing that God would cause them to return, okay? So let's, let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, right now we long to, to be filled with the, the same burden for souls that Jesus is filled with. Lord, when we look to the heavenly sanctuary, we realize that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. Lord, do we ever live to make intercession like you? Please, just fill us with a passion for prayer, a passion to to seek and save that which is lost. And Lord, right now, we're just lifting up the silent cry of our heart for one loved one, maybe two or three loved ones that, that you long to return to you. So please, Lord, hear these prayers of ours. Hear the names that are on our hearts. As Romans 8 says, sometimes we don't even know how we ought to pray, but the Spirit makes intercession for us. Lord, you hear the groanings of our hearts today. And now, we're asking God that you would not just fill us with a passion to pray for these loved ones, but that you would fill us with the power to be the fulfillment of our own prayers. God, we want to make ourselves available to you to be an answer to these prayers. Would you please instruct us? Would you please teach us? Would you please open up the word to us? We pray in Jesus' saving name, let the family say, amen, amen. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to the Old Testament book, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 60, 60, Isaiah chapter 60. And this is where we're going to begin our study this morning. We are continuing Contagious Christianity. This is part five, part five, and uh, it's not a typo, it's let your starlight shine, all right? Isaiah chapter 60, Isaiah is in the Old Testament a little bit after Psalms, okay? So if you're a little bit past the halfway mark in your Bible, you're going to Isaiah chapter 60. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how to become contagious persons, right? how to become contagious persons, and now we're starting to turn the corner. We're asking, okay, what are the contagious practices that contagious people do? So we've talked about how to become contagious. If you remember, it starts with being converted. Amen. If you want to be contagious, be thoroughly converted. Be motivated by the very love that compels Christ. And that only happens as we are converted to Christ. So if you want to be contagious, be converted. If you want to be contagious, be totally committed, right? Don't live a half-hearted life. Don't allow your, your, uh, your witness, don't, don't allow your, your, your talk to be one way and your walk to be another, right? Because that just saps the punch of our saltiness. Um, if you want to be contagious, be converted, be committed, and be in communion with Jesus. Have that face time with him because it's as we behold light that we reflect light. As we behold his character, we'll begin to reflect his character. And last week we talked about it. Okay, now if you, want, if you are converted, committed, 
in communion with Jesus, now be in contact with people, right? Because you can be bright, you can be salty, but if you have no contact with anybody, what good is it? And so now we're asking the question, what do we do now? How do we add to that? And here we are, Isaiah chapter 60. When you're there, say amen. Amen. All right, Isaiah chapter 60, and I'm going to read verses 1, 2, and 3. 1, 2, and 3. And you'll notice some familiar themes as, you know, in past studies we've started in Matthew chapter 5 where it says, let your light so shine. But here is the Old Testament version of it. The Bible says in verse 1, I'm reading from the New King James, the Bible says, arise, shine, for what has come? Your light has come. Well, whose light is it? And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. What's the result? Verse 3, the Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Do you imagine yourself, little old you, (laughs) right? Little old me, living in such a way that my influence is not just me, myself, and I, right? But it actually impacts kings? That it actually impacts foreigners, people outside of my normal sphere of influence? Do you believe that God can rise upon you in such a way that when you arise and shine, this will happen? (laughs) These are themes we've seen before, right? It's not our glory, but it's God's glory. Uh, The world is in deep darkness, and without the light of the world, that's why Jesus sends us out, without that light, you know, the world is without hope. And the tendency is still there. That's why, you know, the, the, the tendency is to, to hide that light. You know, Jesus talks about it. What? Do you light a lamp? Hide it under a bushel? No. There's a city that's set on a hill. Can that be hidden? No. And then Jesus' instruction in Matthew 5, 16 is, let your light so shine. In other words, he knows that the tendency is to hide the light. The tendency is to hinder or impede the light, and he's saying, hey, let the floodgates open. And here in Isaiah, same thing. Arise, shine, for your light has come. So how? How does this happen? How is it that our light can truly have ever-broadening impact? Actually, let's go to Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, because Daniel is now going to take this idea of shining, and he's going to give it another metaphor. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. How do we go about arising and shining? Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. This is also an Old Testament prophet. Daniel chapter 12, last chapter there. If you know the prophecies of Daniel, this is really kind of on the tail of, or on the heels of describing the the very end, the time of trouble. So when you're in Daniel chapter 12, say amen. Amen. All right. Daniel chapter 12, and we're just going to read Verse 3. This introduces another picture of shining. It says this, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the what? Like the stars forever and ever. Let me tell you right now, you are a star. How do you like that? (laughs) Go ahead and turn to your neighbor. Hey, you are a star, (laughs) right? We might not be uh, vying for American Idol or Star Search or whatever that is, you know, but look, God is saying, hey, the wise, because they turn many to righteousness, they're like stars. 
They're like stars. It's, it's a very interesting description here. The wise, that, the word, the Hebrew word there for wise, is, it's those who are instructed. Those who are actually, literally, it's those who are enlightened. Okay, enlightened. They shall shine. They shall give their light. So the point is this. When you are enlightened, you will enlighten others. When you are instructed, you will instruct others. When you have an understanding of the character of God, you will share that understanding of the character of God. And what does it do? It actually turns many to righteousness. It changes the course of people's, not just everyday lives, but their eternal destiny. Wow. Turn many to righteousness. When we do that, when we share what we've been given, you and I are stars. And that's what stars do. That's what stars do. Stars lead people. I don't know how many of us have that kind of navigation history, or maybe you and I, uh, maybe you're a pathfinder, and you took, like me, that astronomy honor, right? No, okay. Uh, That was a long time ago. Uh, But that's what stars do. They lead people to where they want to go. In fact, around this time of year, when we think upon the Christmas story, there is, in that whole narrative, A group of people who are led by what? A star. A star. Go to it. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Just going to do a brief study here and then end up at at the passage we really want to focus on in Philippians. But go with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter 2. First book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 2. You catch this story after Jesus is born. In hope against hope, it's a miracle story, and yet it's shrouded in such humility. In Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verses 1 and 2, and then later on, when you're there, say, I'm there. All right? Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, huh? wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen what? His star in the east and have come to worship him. Later on down, you know what happens. This whole dialogue with Herod isn't what they hope it would be, right? Uh, Herod is, is actually suspicious. He, uh, he doesn't want this kind of news. It troubles and disturbs him. He talks to the priests, the, the rabbis, the, the religious leaders at the time. They're disturbed too. And now the wise men who were on a hopeful journey, they're beginning to wonder how hopeful that journey really is. But you skip on down to verse 9. Matthew chapter 2, verse 9. It says, When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the what? The star which they had seen in the east went before them. In other words, it was leading the charge. It was leading their journey till it came and stood over where the young child was. In verse 10, when they saw the star, what was their response? They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They rejoiced a lot, right? (laughs) They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Here's the point. That star... It led them on a journey of eternal consequence. It led them on a journey that resulted in eternal and everlasting joy, exceeding joy. And it led them on a journey to eventually worship the King of Kings. There are people who have no knowledge of God, yet a star led them to Jesus. What a beautiful picture 
of your purpose and mine. When the Bible calls you and I a star, could it be that there are people who have no knowledge of God? Yet when they see you a star, they would be led to exceeding joy because they find true worship of Jesus, the King of Kings. I want to be a star. I want to let my starlight so shine. And that is what it is. So how do we do this? How do we shine like stars? How do we lead people to Jesus? What is it that we can reveal and communicate? Go with me to Philippians chapter 2. And now Paul is going to break it down and get super practical with us. Philippians, that's in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 2. And Paul is going to take up this metaphor of, of us shining as stars. He's going to show us how to do it and how not to do it. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2. If you found the Corinthians, you go Galatians, Ephesians, then Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 14 and 15 specifically. Philippians 2, 14 through 15. When you're there, say, I found it. Okay. Philippians chapter 2. How do we shine like stars? Now, I'm actually going to start in verse 12. These are some powerful promises here. This is going to give us a little bit of context because Paul is talking about this great salvation. He's, he's talking about how Jesus makes this salvation available to us, how he wants us to have the mind of Christ, the humble, servant-like mind of Christ. And then in verse 12, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, lest we get a legalistic bent of this, this is not about us working towards our own salvation. He's saying, look, God has salvation available. Now work it out in your lives. Here it is, verse 13. For it is God who works in you. Amen? Amen. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You know, it's one thing to make your child do what you expect him or her to do. It's another thing for your child to want to do that, Amen. right? How can I, you know, we, we, can, we can walk lockstep with the Ten Commandments, right? But God actually does, wants to do more. He wants to write that law in our hearts. He wants to work in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. Wow, what a powerful promise. That's the gospel. That's salvation that we ought to work in, and he will work it out. And then in verse 14, he gives us some counsel because it's not just what we do or the fact that we do, but it's how we do, all right? The manner in which we do. Verse 14, do all things without what? Uh-oh. Do all things without complaining and disputing. There are two things that Paul wants us to be free from when he's saying, hey, look, you're going to be doing, God is going to be doing these things through you. Now he gives us two things to be free from. Without, what is it? Complaining and disputing. Maybe your Bible says grumbling and arguing. That, that Greek word, uh, we've looked at it before in a previous talk. That Greek word for complaining, it's, uh, let me see if I can pronounce this right. It's gongusmos. Uh, in other words, it's actually an onomatopoeia. You know, when you hear, hear a loud bang, that word bang, that's an onomatopoeia. It's sounding the, the essential concept. And so, gungusmos, it's supposed to sound like grumbling. 
Okay? It's supposed to sound like that. It's that secret, sullen discontent. It's that murmuring. Be free of that. Be free of what else? Be free of arguing or disputing. That's a little bit more expressive. That's a little bit more vocal. That's a little bit more public of dissatisfaction, disagreement, and doubt. Be free of that, Paul says. You see, here's the problem. When we profess Christ, even more so when we work for Christ and we say that God is working in us, but we're doing those works with a... And we're doing those works with, with a, a, a vocal discontent with those that we're working around. That's not good for the character of God. That's not light. That is not light. In fact, when Paul goes on in verse 15, he gives us the result of being free from complaining and disputing. He says in verse 15, that you may become, what's the word in your Bible? Blameless. Ooh, blameless, without blame, no ground for reproach, not deserving of any censure. When we are free of complaining, discontent, dispute, we are on good ground. <laughs> we are on good And not only we being on good ground, God becomes to be on good ground. Okay? Th- that you may be blameless and harmless is what my Bible says. Do you see that? Blameless and harmless. In fact, the literal meaning of that is without mixture, unmingled with any taint. In other words, non-toxic. Non-toxic. Could it be that complaining and grumbling is actually toxic? Could it be that that's a mouthful of something you don't want to swallow? And yet we give it to others to swallow. That you may be blameless and harmless, and then notice the next one. Children of God. Children of God. The the word there for child, it's actually a specific term. It's a term of endearment. It's a term of endearment that highlights the willing obedience of a child. It's a term that highlights the glad submission of a child who is taken care of by his daddy. And when we are free of complaining and free of disputing, we actually become those kinds of kids who are just content to be with their God. Now, my dad, when I was younger, would instruct us kids very, um, well, we knew what he was talking about. (laughs) I'll just say that. He instructed us never to complain about being hungry in public. When he heard me or my brother say, I'm hungry, he got, he said, don't say that. Why? Because he didn't want people to think that we weren't being fed. He didn't want people to think, oh, these poor kids, they never get anything on their table. Of course we were fine. We just had fast metabolisms. That's the rice thing. Anyway, uh, (laughs) no, here's the point. When we complain, it gives the impression that we don't have our needs taken care of. But when we are free of complaining and disputing, guess what? We give the impression that we are children of the best father around. Wow. That you may be blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault. Without fault. Again, that, that means without spot, without blemish. And the reality is that complaining and disputing only tarnishes and taints the character of God. And all of this, notice the setting in which this is so critical. Without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. 
See, the reality is, this world is dark. It's already full of enough to complain about. So why add to it? I had a teacher, a professor in college say, hey, look, the world is a mess. Don't be part of the problem, be part of its solution. <laughs> Pretty plain and simple. So the, the truth is that this world is crooked. Uh, the, the Greek word is scolios, kind of like the word that we get scoliosis from. And it's literally, it means to be bent out of shape because it's been sapped of all moisture. You know, when you sap a, a grape of all its moisture, it begins to, you know, kind of look a little bit crooked. And here's the point. When, when this world is sapped of the moisture, the dew of God's presence, it becomes crooked. And so it's so critical in that kind of an environment to not add or perpetuate the moisture-sapping nature of this world, but instead drench people with the presence and goodness of God. Amen. To use your words in such a way that it would only enlighten people of the God that we can trust. And so what is it that Paul makes? What is it, or excuse me, what is it that, that makes us shine as lights? It, it, notice the rest of the verse, we didn't actually finish it, verse 15, that you may be blame, become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as what? Lights. As lights in the world. So what is it that makes us shine as lights in Paul's thought? Well, according to Paul, it's in how we communicate, or maybe I should say how we don't communicate, right? It's without complaining. So here's the key. If you want to be contagious, converse of Christ. If you want to be contagious, be free of your complaining and disputing and saturate your conversation with the care that Christ gives. Is that too easy? Is that too simple? Okay. And here, here, here it is. We just, the point is that, that when we want to shine, when we, when we know the character of God that shines so brightly, then, then our call is just to let it shine. Don't let anything hold that character of God back from the rest of the world. And in Paul's mind, it's complaining and disputing that actually hinders that light from bursting into the world. And so when we are free from that, when we let our starlight shine through our simple and routine conversation, we give evidence of the fact that we are a child of a God who is living and loving. So when others ask you, how are you today? <laughs> What's your typical response? If you were to just kind of recollect your memory of the past week, when, when people have said, hey, how are you? Uh, maybe you're fine. Maybe you're busy. Maybe you're tired. Anybody else give those responses this week? I know I did, right? <laughs> but here, what, if we were to gather all of those little glimpses into one long video clip of how I really am, fine, busy, tired, ah, you know, all this stuff, what kind of picture would that give of my father? Would it, uh, would it lead to the conclusion? Would it lead others to the conclusion that this God doesn't take care of his kid? I want to be free of complaining. I want to, be, to let my conversation be saturated with Christ. And so, what are some alternatives? How are you? Busy, but blessed. I had a friend who always liked to run. Too blessed to be depressed, amen? <laughs> Maybe I'm tired, but I'm thankful. All right? 
Maybe I'm hurt, but I'm hopeful. How are you today? Instead of drawing attention to the thorns in your life, maybe you can draw attention to the the roses. Why perpetuate what the world has already got a market on? Here's the ultimate result. We shine as lights. We see it in verse 15. It says, Without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. What's crazy is that, that Greek word for lights right there, it's, uh, it's used only one other time in Scripture. And it's describing the brilliance in Revelation 21, verse 11. It's describing the brilliance of the holy city coming down to earth. Could it be that when we are free of complaining and disputing, we are actually giving a glimpse of heaven on earth? Are you serious? In that simple method, simple communication. That's compelling, and that's contagious. I want to be a star that brings heaven to earth. You know, lately, at the, around our breakfast table in the morning, Debbie and I have been reading through the book, Steps to Christ. Powerful book, powerful book. If you haven't picked it up lately, pick it up. If you haven't picked it up at all, pick it up. <laughs> Steps to Christ, pages 119 to 120. The chapter is called Rejoicing in the Lord. Let me just read this to you. It says this, Let your conversation be of him who liveth to make intercession for you before the Father. When you take the hand of a friend, let praise to God be on your lips and in your hearts. This will attract thoughts to Jesus. There is many a brave soul sorely pressed by temptation, almost ready to faint in the conflict with self and with the powers of evil. Do not discourage such a one in his hard struggle. Cheer him with brave, hopeful words that will urge him on his way. Thus the light of Christ may shine from you. How applicable is this? By our unconscious influence, others may be encouraged, strengthened, or they may be discouraged and repelled from Christ and the truth. The power of our simple conversation. The power of our simple conversation. Maybe we underestimate that. Don't any longer. The power of our simple conversation is to attract to Christ or to repel from Christ. And you see, we're not, we're not talking about you know, things that are super technical. We're not talking about that are th- things that are theologically difficult. We're not talking about uh, uh, memorizing a gospel presentation or, or a canvas or things like that. These are important and they have their place. But why would anybody want to listen to that if our simple conversation is not attracting them to Christ in the first place? So how can we shine as stars that lead people on a journey from hopelessness to hope, that lead people on a journey to the true worship of the King? Let your simple conversation be of Christ. Amen? Amen. Oh, it's almost too simple to be true. <laughs> but let's get practical today. How can we change our conversation, right? Conversation, let me say this, conversation hinges on contemplation. Did you catch what I said? Conversation, what we communicate, how we talk, it is directly affected by our contemplation, what we behold, what we think upon, what we dwell upon and focus upon. 
Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, you know this well. From out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, whatever your heart is focused on, that's what you're going to be talking about. So we've talked about being converted and being committed and being in communion with Jesus. If you truly have Jesus as your constant companion, wouldn't it be rude to hang out with him all day long and not even talk about him to those that you're interacting with? Have you ever had a friend like that? You're just kind of showing them the town and stuff, and you know, you're, you're running into people at work, and hey, yeah, how's everything going? And this companion of yours doesn't get one iota of attention? No, we don't do that. Why? Because it's rude. <laughs> right? But when Jesus is truly our companion, when we are truly in communion with him, when our hearts are fixed on him, we won't help but to talk of him. You see, what's usually on the forefront of our minds is on the tip of our tongues. So if we're quick to complain, what's on the forefront of your mind? Right? Is this... Uh, okay, <laughs> I'll stop right there. In other words, if you want to change the way you talk, keep fresh in memories hall what God has done for you past, present, and promised in the future. Keep it fresh in your mind what Jesus has done for you. When someone asks you, hey, how are you doing? You know what? There may be a lot of hurt in your life, but don't leave out the fact that God gives you hope in place of that. Wow. Now, does this mean that we, we can't share each other's burdens with one another? No. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, bear each other's burdens with one another, right? Now, what this does mean is that when you do talk real and open and you are kind of, you know, being raw, don't allow yourself to stay there. <laughs> Be free of complaining and disputing. In other words, don't allow that hurt to have the last word. Allow the hope of Jesus to wrap it all together. And especially so, you know, that, that, that's saved for an audience of those intimate friends, right? Those, that's saved for an audience of trusted prayer partners, okay? But in the audience of people that you want to be contagious to, <laughs> in the audience of people that you want to have an impact on, the audience of people that you are trying to come close to and disciple, friends, converse of Christ. So what can we do about it this week? How can we take this home? What can our take-home challenge be this week? How can we put it into practice? Uh, option number one. <clears throat> option number one. Start today. <laughs> In potluck, right? You're asking, hey, how you doing? Converse of Christ. Don't let the period stop at busy. Okay? I'm busy but blessed. You know, I'm tired but I'm thankful. Ah, I've been hurting but I have hope, right? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Go ahead and write this one down. This is one just to kind of, my wife actually made a scripture song to this, and I, I, I need this a lot, because it says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. That word corrupt, it's actually spoken of, of bad fruit. Don't let rotten words come out of your mouth, right? Nobody wants to eat that stuff. Nobody wants that. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is necessary for edification. Wow, necessary edification. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. So practice it today. 
even in potluck. Practice it today uh, on the car ride home. Let your conversation be of Christ. Here's another suggestion. Practice it on Facebook. (laughs) You know, we're quick. We're quick to see something that distresses us and share that all around. Why? Right? We see a news article that's disturbing, that's troubling. Why? You know, I I remember growing up, I was watching a TV show that... uh, it, uh, it was kind of uh, sharing kind of a, a satire, an, an ironic family situation where they're sitting around the table and they're having breakfast and someone realizes that their cereal, that milk that was poured in it was like a week too, too old or something. And, oh, this is bad milk, one, one says. And then the, the next person at the table says, oh, let me try that, let me try that. Oh, that's bad. And then the next person, oh, oh. why is it that we're so, that's our natural tendency. To just be drawn to that which is rotten. Friends, we don't need to perpetuate that. The world does that just fine. Amen? But let us be blameless, harmless, children of God, without fault in this world. And when we are, we will bring heaven to earth, shining like stars. Practice it on Facebook. See what happens when you post your praises, huh? Okay, so you practice it in potluck, you practice it on Facebook. How about with someone on your impact list? Pick someone on your impact list that you know you're going to see this week. And even practice in your mind what you're going to say when they ask you how you're doing. Practice it in your mind. In, in other words, let your conversation be of Christ. Soak your conversation of Christ. You've got clients at work. You've got classmates at school. You've got relatives who come to your door. Let your conversation be of Christ. Easier said than done, yeah? But it starts with where your thoughts are. Let your contemplation be of him and watch how your conversation is of him. How many of you are willing to try one of these things? Practice it either today, on Facebook, with someone on your impact list. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Father, simple message. Oh, but super significant in the spiritual consequence. God, we want to shine as stars with the kind of brilliance that the holy city has when heaven comes down to earth. Lord, you've placed us here in our homes in our neighborhoods, in our classrooms, in our workplace, in our ministries. You have placed us there to be stars so that those without hope can be led to Jesus. Lord, let us converse of Christ. I pray, Father, that you would so fix our contemplation steadily riveted upon Jesus, what he has done, what he is doing, what he has yet to do that our conversation would flow naturally, that it would be without hindrance, and that Jesus would be lifted up. God, we want to be those kinds of children who aren't complaining because we're not taken care of. We want to be those kinds of children who are willingly and gladly resting in the arms of the Father. And so let our conversation boast of that. Let our conversation give evidence of that. 
Please, God, may your blessing rest upon us and may from the abundance of these converted hearts the mouth speak great things for your glory. In Jesus' name, let the family say, Amen. Amen.